going to read verses 1 through 16. We want to talk this morning, uh, as we do continue this series, building below the baseline, developing the part of your life that only God sees. We want to talk about our conscience and um, see what the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about the conscience. And uh, we'll see some of these things uh, this morning. But in Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, we'll read down to verse 16. The Bible says, and, and after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. So let me just stop there real quick. But um, it seems like this guy, uh, Tertullus, uh, really likes this guy Felix. Wouldn't you think from reading that? I mean, he said some nice things about him. But the reality is they can't stand one another. And uh, because he's the Roman pontiff and um, he's, the other guy's Jewish. And uh, so he's just kind of building him up. Notwithstanding, verse 4, that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear us of thy clemency in a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, I'm talking about Paul, and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain of Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered. So here's Paul's response. So you understand what's happened here. The Jews have accused, they, they, they brought Paul to the Roman pontiff here, the Roman uh, who's in charge, and they've accused him of things that um, uh, some, are with, some of which are just not true at all, and, and some actually are true, but they're not bad things. Um, they said to them, you know, we would deal with this under our own law, meaning Jewish law, but um, Paul's a Roman citizen, so they come to the Roman leader here and say, you know, we'll bring him before Roman law. And that they're trying to trying to have um, their way here with Paul and trying to influence um, Felix. So here's Paul's response. Then Paul, verse 10, after the governor had beckoned him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went to Jerusalem for to worship. 
And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they called heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So basically Paul is saying, listen, they've accused me of these things, most of which none of this is true. If you're accusing me of being a follower of the scriptures, I'm guilty, but I have no problem with that. And, uh, and then the verse for today really is having a conscience void of offense, both toward God, he said, and toward men. I've done nothing wrong before God, and I've done nothing wrong with regards to man to men. Let's pray. Lord, bless now the Bible study this morning. Help us to see these truths and to make application to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, on our handout, the opening paragraph, if you haven't read it already, but building below the baseline requires a good conscience. Our conscience is so important. Although this took place in the first century, it's not too hard to imagine it taking place today. We live in a society that increasingly sees Christians who believe and preach the Bible as pestilent. And that's what they accused Paul of, being pestilent. And people get upset with Christians and some of the stands uh, that they take. And they, they, For instance, in the news, sometimes you see Christians being sued for, certain, for just taking a position. Like probably the most well-known uh, lawsuit in the last few years was the Christian bakers. They, 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 they owned a baking business, and they had a difficult time. They didn't want to, they didn't want to be involved in, uh, in a wedding between two men or a wedding. I forget if it was between two men or if it was between two women. They just, just didn't want to be involved in that, and they were sued for that for discrimination. And um, I don't even remember, anybody remember that case and, and who won or who lost that case? The Bakers. I believe they lost it, but then they appealed it. Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? The Bakers lost it. The Bakers lost, but they, I think they, didn't they just recently appeal it? And I think they, I think they won the appeal. So, uh, but you see this, you see this all the time. I remember there was this, a, a somewhere, I think it was in Vermont, that the, a couple owned a wedding venue and uh, they couldn't operate the business because they did not want to lease the facilities out to same-sex marriages and they were going to be sued. So you see this uh, today, you know, this, it's nothing new. There's, here's the Apostle Paul, just for being a Christian and standing for what he believed, he was facing arrest and being accused of being, being pestilent. Um, I just saw there's a, a very well-known uh, actor and director in um, 
Hollywood who's making this movie about Christian nationalism. And um, I think there are some things to be careful about with regards to nations and Christian nationalism, but I can only imagine, this guy's very liberal, I can only imagine what this person's going to say in the film. Um, so you see this in the society in, in, in which we live. Different social issues that, uh, that are brought up, different stands that you and I take with regards to our Christianity um, and how to deal with them. Business practices, um, Chick-fil-A, which uh, takes certain social stands. One of the things that they don't do is open on Sunday. And the reason they don't open on Sunday is because the leadership of Chick-fil-A, the people who own the company, wanted Sunday to be a day for people, for their families, and to go to church. And now in some cities, they're trying to make them open up on a Sunday. Like, you know, wow, like, you know, it's unbelievable. And because of their, their social stands, they get criticized. So this is the kind of thing that takes place, and sometimes the accusations that people make are false accusations. But you and I, our responsibility as believers when we deal with our conscience is to have a right conscience before God and before those that we come into contact with. So on your handout, 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you were. So very important for Paul that his conscience was right before God and before men. Very important for you and me, for our conscience to be right. Not only in some of these issues I've already talked about, but just in our own personal lives and dealing with the issues in our lives. So the Bible, when you, when you study out this word in the Bible and the definition of it, you see, and when we'll look at four different examples in the Bible of the conscience. But before I even get into that, if I was to ask you, how would you define what is your conscience? And, and by the way, in the book of Romans, I don't know if I'll have time to turn there or not, in the book of Romans chapter 2, it seems to indicate in verses 14 and 15, that God has instilled in each person a conscience. And so in, in Paul's writings in Romans, I don't know if you can put that up on the screen, Steve, but Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that whether you're a believer or you're a non-believer, God has instilled in individuals a conscience. He talks about, uh, in Romans, he talks about there are those whether they have the law of God or they don't have the law of God, there's a law in our heart that tells us, well, there it is, look on, the, look on the, the screen. For when the Gentiles, Paul wrote, which have not the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law, or what we would think about as the Ten Commandments, they do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. So in other words, for instance, one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not lie. Well, whether someone's a Christian or whether someone's not a Christian, the, the Bible is saying that there's instilled in, in each individual the idea that lying is just wrong. Follow what I'm saying? It's just wrong. 
Um, and, and you go right down, down the list. And look at verse 15 in the on the screen. Which show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. In other words, that's thinking this is right and this is wrong. So what else? What would you say if, if I asked you, tell me what you think the conscience is all about? What would you say? Your conscience. Okay, if you couldn't hear him, he said it's like your inner voice or a gut feeling. I think that's actually pretty good, your inner voice. Anybody else? Your conscience. Yes, Frank. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, the difference between right and wrong, that inner voice telling you this is right and this is wrong. We don't need, we don't need, the, uh, most people don't need to know that, that uh, like the commandment, thou shalt not kill, uh, most people understand that killing someone is wrong, whether they're a believer or they're not a believer, right? So that's the conscience that God has instilled in, in every individual. Most people, they don't need, you don't, te you don't have to uh, teach your children when they're growing up. I've often said, you don't have to teach your children to do wrong. They often do it naturally. You, you, part, of the, part of the responsibility of a parent is to teach them to do right. Um, but stealing... Um, and so on and so forth. Most people understand that stealing is wrong. That's that inner voice inside. It's saying this is just wrong. So Paul wrote this uh, on your handout, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19. The good conscience. In fact, even before we read that, just in your, if your Bibles are open, look at, look at chapter 23 and verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I live in all good conscience before God unto this day. And then again on your handout, 1 Timothy. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So he speaks about a good conscience when he's writing to young Timothy, the, 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 pre, the young preacher, making sure he's got a good conscience, especially with regards to the faith. He talks here in chapter 23 and verse 1 about a good conscience. So a good when sin is present in our lives, then when we have a conscience that's right before God, we'll be troubled by its presence. It's just, we'll just know, you know, that, uh, that as Mike said, that, that inner voice. We'll just know that there's something not right. And, and what we then do as believers is we get that right. We confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Paul emphasized that. It's important to have a good conscience Someone said this, there's no softer pillow than a good conscience. You know, you lay your head down at night and your conscience is right before God and before, before man. And so the Bible talks about that and having a good conscience. And, we'll, and we'll, when we get to the end of this, 
Well, how do we develop that? We'll talk about that. But now on the back of your handout, the Bible warns us of a defiled con a conscience. A defiled conscience. The word defiled, it means to be made dirty. Look what Paul writes to Titus, and he says this. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. So where we think of a good conscience and there's purity, when we think of a defiled conscience, we think that the purity has lost its value. And uh, that's, that's the, and you're going to see a progression here. But a, a conscience that's made dirty, and we should be careful because as matters as serious as those of us that are married and the faithfulness of our marriages, uh, be, being careful that our conscience is not defiled. I worked with a missionary years ago in Belarus, and, um, and then I heard that missionary, they came home from Belarus, and then I heard that the missionary and his wife divorced. And I heard of the circumstances. Now, I don't know much about their relationship, so, um, but I do know this, that the wife went online, started a relationship with her old boyfriend when they were younger, that developed into more than just, hi, how are you? And then the next thing you know, she runs off, leaves her husband, and runs off with this man. And that happens today. And there's different reasons that marriages fall apart, but that's one of the reasons today that those things happen. So we have to be careful. There are things that happen, you know, those of you that are out in the workplace and different things going on. Um, but when we, in our marriages, when we, when we made our vows before our husbands or before our wives, those vows are good at home. Those vows are good at church. Those vows are good at work. Those vows are good at socializing. And we need to be careful of the situations that we put ourselves in so that our conscience doesn't become defiled. Um, and we leave the good conscience. And God speaks to us about that. But the purity, we need to be careful about the people who we spend our time with, our free time. You know, I, my mother always told us when we were growing up, uh, my brothers and my sister and I, and it, wasn't, it wasn't new with her, I'm sure she heard it somewhere else, but she said this, you will become whoever you associate with, whoever you're hanging out with, because they'll have an influence on you. So choose your acquaintances um, and the people that you hang out with uh, in such a way that they're not going to be people who defile your conscience. And so be careful of that. that that's building below the baseline. Um, and purity begins to lose its value, the company that we keep, where we spend our free time. We lose the filter of holiness and purity. You know where you see this happen a lot is when young people are raised in a Christian home and their mom and their dad does the best that they can to teach them 
Christian values, and then a young person gets out, goes off to college, moves out of the house, goes to a workplace, and then they're not under that influence any longer. And then they begin to get involved in things. And their conscience goes from being good to now being defiled. And we need to be careful of that. Because look on your handout, the next step is an evil conscience. Where defiled is an occasional sin, and the evil conscience becomes a habitual sin. There's a progression. Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed away with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, did the Sunday school lesson. I brought up the topic of pornography. Well, there's a, there's a good example today of where you could, you could be on your computer with all good conscience, and all of a sudden there's something in front of you. It goes from a good con conscience to a defiled conscience to an evil conscience. And that's as quickly as it, it can, can work. There's a story in the Bible, an, an illustration in the Bible, of um, Abraham and Lot. And uh, we see in Lot's life, going from uh, one conscience to another conscience to another conscience. And you remember the story of Lot? Lot was, who was, Lot was the nephew of who? Someone tell me. Abraham. And so Abraham and uh, Lot were herdmen. And then there was strife between the two of them. We don't really know what the cause of that strife was. But um, you see Lot and Abraham, then Abraham says, in all good conscience, Abraham says, Lot, you choose. You can either, you, whatever direction you want to go, but let's not have this strife between us. And uh, you choose which way you're going to go. And so Lot chooses. And which way does Lot pitch his tent? Towards what? Towards Sodom. Abraham settles between Bethel and the city of Hai. And that's an, interesting, that's an interesting place because where Abraham settled is the spot that every Christian in life settles. What, is, what does Bethel mean? Who can tell me? Bethel. The house of God. That's what the town Bethel is. So he's in between the house of God and the city of Hai, any, now that would be a hard one. Anybody know what Hai means? It means the city of ruin. And think of that. Every individual, that's where you are. You either can face the house of Bethel, the house of God, or Hai, the house of ruin. And your conscience determines which direction you're going to go and, and as you develop that. Lot, on the other hand, he pitches his tent towards Sodom. And while he's in Sodom, and we, we, I think we all know the history of Sodom, it's a wicked place. And so wicked is, it, it, the Bible says that, that Peter, or, or, and, uh, or Lot, um, it says in 2 Peter, that Lot vexed, his, his soul was vexed. He was so 
he was so infiltrated with ungodliness around him that no longer did his conscience determine what was right and what was wrong. And then, you know, remember that God is going to bring judgment and God sends the angels to warn Lot of what's going to happen. And um, I, it says there in the book of Genesis that um, when Lot tried to warn his family that judgment was coming, it says that he was as one that mocked. And that's an interesting word. If you study that Hebrew word out, it actually means he was a, his family thought he was a counterfeit. In other words, he had moved so far away from serving God that his family thought, what are you talking about? You have, you have no credibility with us. And then we know that he escaped. His wife escaped, but turned back, turned to stone. He leaves with his two daughters. Um, in fact, he even offered up his daughters when they were, remember they were banging on the door. And he said, no, 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 because they wanted these, these angels who took the form of men. He said they, uh, the, the men of that city wanted them. And uh, he said, no, I'll give you my daughters instead. I mean, how can, I can't even fathom that, that someone would, would say that. That's, how, that's where Lot has sunk to in life. And that's what happens. A good conscience... Uh, and then a defiled conscience, and then an evil conscience. And then in the end, he has incestual relationship with his two daughters. It just, he just sinks lower and lower and lower. And then the two tribes oh, are the, um, the Moabites and um, the, Am the Ammonites, correct? Those two tribes would give the Israelites trouble historically over and over and over and over again. Kind of the, the nature of sin. And so his conscience became an evil conscience. And that's what can happen. And, and don't, don't think because you're sitting in church this morning um, that, oh, that would never happen to me. Well, I've been doing this for 40 years, and I could, I could tell you about people who sat in church for years and years and years and then ended up getting involved in things that just I would never have thought they would get involved in. So we have to be careful of that. An evil conscience. That's why the Bible talks about it and warns us of it. Because then the last step is on your hand is the seared conscience. First Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now to a Christian who's walking with God, there's nothing pleasant about being under the influence of wickedness and living in darkness. But you can get to the place where a seared conscience finds its comfort zone in sin. This person even loses their logical reasoning to recognize the bondage of sin. We need to be careful of that. That word seared there means it, 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 it 
I'm sure many of you have heard this before, but uh, when you, if you sear your skin uh, where the nerve endings are, you lose the feelings there. And it's the same thing. And that's what happens to our conscience. Where at one time, we knew that this was right or this was wrong, and this progression leads you to the place where you, kind of like what Isaiah said, the things that, the things that, uh, how did he say that again? Just on the tip of my tongue, I'm going to paraphrase it. But the things that are right uh, are now wrong, and the things that are wrong are now right. And that's what happens. We see that individually. We see that in our culture. Our, our entire culture, in many ways, has a seared conscience. It's just mind-boggling. My, my wife was telling me on the ride in this morning, you know, people now are identifying with all these things. Like some people identify as a cat. There's people identify as a dog, so they, they go around like they're a dog. There's now a thing where people, this town just said, no, you can't do this here. She said, this, there's a group of people who are now are identifying, these are adults, I think, as, ba as infants, babies. They want to dress and put on diapers. What in the world? Are we, where are we going here as a, as a culture? This is crazy. And uh, the, the town said, no, you're not doing that here. Good for that town. They're, the, conscience, the conscience of the town rose up and said, no, you're not doing that here. All right? I don't understand. Like, it's crazy. Men that identify as women, women that, it's just like, wow, what a world, what a world we, we live in. Uh, I like the, I like, I think it was in Texas, you know, Texas is a bit of a conservative state. Maybe it was Oklahoma. They said, you're, you're confused between a man and a woman? All right, just go try to milk a bull and you'll find out the difference between a man and a woman. <clears throat> so, but this is what happens. This is where our culture is, is heading. Um, so what do we do about it? And let's, let's spend the last several minutes of this. The conscience developed. So um, look, at, look at chapter 24 again in verse 16. And herein, Paul said, do I, and here's the key word, I exercise myself. I exercise myself. And then he said, to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Exercise. Um, if we don't exercise, develop our faith, it will be depleted. My wife likes to exercise. She's uh, I like to exercise too, but not like the same way she does. She's a gym. She like she would go to the gym and work out. My one of my son-in-laws, Lydia's husband, and Lydia, they both love to go to the gym. I think they get up every morning at four thirty in the morning, and they go to the gym every morning, and they work out. And good for them if that's what they want to do. And um, my, my wife has, uh, my son-in-law put a whole exercise uh, routine. And in the winter, because Shelly's working at the ski area, she doesn't go to the gym much, but she's got one of the extra bedrooms set up with some of her exercise equipment in it. And, and she does this routine every day and, and, uh, and good for her. I, I, I like to exercise too, but I like to walk, I like to hike, I like to do stuff around the yard, and, and um, I, I just, I've just never been into that whole gym thing where, like, you get on a treadmill, and you're walking for miles, but you're not getting anywhere. It just drives me, I say, like, I gotta get somewhere, right? But if, you, and if, but if that's what you like to do, more power to you. And, um, uh, 
But, but exercise is important. It's important that we all exercise. Um, because there's a, there's, there's a benefit. But our conscience needs to be exercised. And that requires there has to be a goal. So 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And it's the examples Paul's giving here of athletics. So if you're an athlete and you want to be successful, then you have to exercise, you have to practice. Um, and, the, and, and that takes a discipline. And a lot of people aren't disciplined enough to exercise. I read an article, um, back to a couple of articles about, um, what is this, new, this drug people have been using to lose weight? Ozempic, is that what it's called? So I read an article, I don't, and listen, let me just say this, I don't know anything about um, Ozempic, I'm not an expert on this, drugs or anything like, anything like that, but I know people have been losing weight on it. But a, a fellow wrote an article and he said, um, if you're trying to lose weight, the first, the first front of losing weight shouldn't be that you just pop a pill in your mouth. You ought to think about your diet, you ought to think about exercise, and your lifestyle. And why? Why is it easier for people to just to take a pill? Because they don't like to exercise. They don't, they don't want the discipline of changing a diet. Um, now, again, I'm not saying, I don't know a lot about this, and I know, but I understood what this writer was saying, and that made sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you, but before you just start popping pills for things, you should think about the other things that go along with it. Yes, right? I would think. Um, so, but why don't people do that? Because they don't like to exercise. Why don't I go to the gym? Because I don't like to go to the gym, but I do like to exercise. Um, but it takes discipline. You have to set a goal. But your conscience as well, when we're talking about the spiritual realm, we have to be disciplined in the spiritual realm. If you're not disciplined in the spiritual realm, then you're going to walk in the flesh. You're not going to walk in the faith. And so Paul was, Paul was writing that. And so there's a goal. What's your goal? As you know, and read the scriptures. We already, we've learned today that, wait, well, I can either have a good conscience, I can have a defiled conscience, I can have an evil conscience, and I can get to the point where I have seared conscience. So we have to be aware of that and protect ourselves. And God's given us the tools God, and to do that. And to, one of the reasons that, that the Lord established the local church was where we could come and exercise our faith in not only being active in what we do, but in just sitting and listening to the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word and let God speak to our hearts and making sure our conscience is void of offense toward God and toward men. Look, it says in 1 Corinthians 9.26 on your hand up. Paul said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Well, that, re that requires discipline. 
And Paul says, I need to be disciplined in my faith. I need to be disciplined in my social life. I need to be disciplined in all that I do. And so we finish up because we're out of time, but that's when he finishes up here at the very end of verse 16, and he says, having always a conscience void of offense toward God, and he says, toward men. Let me just finish with one one. Uh, other portion of scripture. It's not on your handout, so you might want to turn there. Maybe Steve can put it up as we, we finish up. But First Peter, First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. So when others are. You know, when Ethan is start, Pastor Ethan is starting the adult class most Sunday mornings, asking for, you know, who's inviting people to church, and uh, or witnessing to people, people we can pray for. Well, when we're inviting people or we're presenting our faith to people, we need to be sure and we need to think about: Do I have a conscience? Do I have a conscience that's clear before God and before men? Because if we're, if we're allowing our conscience to become defiled and we're getting involved in things that even non-Christians know are just not right things, then, then we're going to have a very difficult time having an influence on those people who are around us. There has to be consistency. First um, Peter chapter 3 and, and, and verse 15, and then we'll be done here. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Then look at verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, let me just stop there, just like they did Paul, they spoke evil of him because he stood for the things of God. Sometimes they may speak evil of you because you stand for the things of God. They speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you of your good conversation. And that word conversation, it means all of our behavior, of your good conversation in Christ. In other words, if you're going to give an answer to people for the hope that's in you, make sure that your conscience is right before God and before men. Make sure that as you're sharing your faith or inviting people, you know, that they see Christ living in and through you uh, and not saying, wow, that, that person, they don't even seem like they are a Christian. I know who Christians are and I know what Christians, because listen, the, the, the lost people in the world by and large know what Christians stand for. They know what Christians believe. They know how Christians act. And if they see you acting completely different from that, why would they listen? Because they, they already know. So, it's all part of our testimony, having a good conscience toward God and toward men. And Peter writes that here, and he reminds us of that. So just um, be sensitive to the leading and guiding of God's Holy Spirit in your life as you deal with this particular issue. Father, bless now the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. 
Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.